right at the moment we feel Down at the heel, at the end of the rope But somewhere inside us there's steel And that glimmer of steel is a glimmer of hope We'll get by, by the skin of our teeth You and I, by the skin of our teeth By and by, everything will be fine Just as long as the fire burns bright We'll stay strong, by the light of that light can't die Everything will be perfectly fine Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 8th, 2022. Happy Mother's Day to all who partake. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released in September of 2022 and can be now pre-ordered on Amazon. Peter also has columns on Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. Some of you may have noticed that I breezed right by Peter's uh, intro there without saying hello to Peter, because uh, we're recording on um, Sunday morning on May 8th, but uh, Peter and I pre-recorded all of his segments on Friday evening because he couldn't be with us this weekend, but I wanted to have him give his final reviews of the Broadway season today rather than skipping this week, so we'll be time-shifting Peter into the broadcast so you won't miss him. And we have trivia at the end. With the miracle of modern technology. The miracle of modern technology. In fact, some of our listeners, if you're a Patreon supporter, were able to get time shifted and answer the trivia question before it was actually ever asked. It's really, it blew my mind. So, <laughs> so Michael, you, uh, you are going to go out and uh, tell us a little bit about the upcoming gala for the American Songbook Association. Yeah, I have a big Monday night coming up tomorrow because this sounds wonderful. It's uh, a uh, it's it, it, to benefit the American Songbook Association. It's their third annual gala, and it's honoring Stephen Schwartz, whom we all love and who has been a guest on our podcast. And the cast includes ready Christine Andreas, Liz Calloway, Sally Mays, Paul Schaefer, Rupert Holmes. Debbie Gravitt, Kurt Peterson, Jessica Hendy, John Boswell, Kelly Rabke, John Bacchino, and Terry Ralston. And this is going to be at Merkin Hall uh, tomorrow, Monday, May 9th at 7.30. And the evening uh, is being directed by Scott Coulter, who has worked with Stephen for years. And uh, Michael Roberts is the music director. So I'm really, really excited about that. And it's always... Aside from everything, it's always wonderful to see Stephen. He's always such a gentleman and, and such a great person to to talk with. I can't believe that Stephen and uh, Alan haven't gotten together and done some sort of Broadway tennis 
uh, type of fundraiser thing. You know, they're so I'm, into tennis. You know? I know you're obsessed with their tennis play. <laughs> I'm only obsessed with it because every time I try to get them on, they're like, oh, Sunday morning, I play tennis. And then we yeah. found out that Debbie Gravitt joins them sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> they all live together. Not together. Yeah, so well, in that by, area yeah, in yeah. Connecticut, yeah. So, Peter, you uh, had some announcements this week, or the organizations which you lead had some announcements this week. The Theater World Awards, of course, are coming up at Circle in the Square. You figured out a way to get all that uh, uh, set dressing out of the way at Circle? Well, uh, God bless Jeffrey Richards and uh, the (laughs) staff at Circle in the Square, because, indeed, um, that place is pretty crowded. But they said, oh, yeah, we'll move the stuff. So that would be all right. Um, Frankly, if they had left it the way it was, it would have looked like John Willis's apartment anyway. So uh, (laughs) it would have been a good idea. But, but, you know, nobody would have been able to get in or off it, I'll tell you Mm -hmm. that. Uh, So so we're very delighted at the Circle in the Square. We've done it many, many times, and they've always been so lovely to us that uh, indeed they're going to um, be hosting us one more time. God love them. So the date, uh, what's the date on that now? It, we will be Monday, June 6th at 7 p.m. Circle in the Square. So um, that's what's going to happen. And um, just um, today we're talking um, on Friday, uh, we announced our winners. So uh, it was a tight race. Now there were nine of us this year. We decided to expand our uh, committee and um, we brought on Kerry Wong and Linda Armstrong. And um, interestingly enough, um, nine, of course, is the number on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Though we uh, assure you are far more open minded because we go to the theater a lot and we learn a lot. So um, that's us. And uh, we're very, very happy that uh, there was such. Well, of course, there wasn't unanimity, but um, there were no fits, no fights, no feuds or um, egos, really. So. We uh, we did get along, and uh, there was a, a great deal of um, simpatico. I mean, especially on a few of them, which I won't be specific. Um, maybe the day will come when we're very specific on how many votes each person gets. Um, they do it in politics. Perhaps they should do it in theater. But nevertheless, uh, we don't. So, but um, we're very happy uh, to announce that uh, Patrick J. Adams, who's so wonderful and take me out as a winner, so is Yer Bendor who was terrific in prayer for the French Republic. Kirsten Piper Brown, the leading lady of intimate apparel, um, who had to do all that opera, and she did it so well. Sharon D. Clark, wow, you know, Carolina Change. Uh, (laughs) It's very hard when you have to uh, take on a role like that, which has been so acclaimed by somebody else, and yet, you know, you make it your own. Enrico Colantoni from Birthday Candles as well as well as Crystal Finn from Birthday Candles. So that's the um, one show where we have uh, two people oh. from uh, the same cast, and that was good. Frankly, when I, even though it was a long time ago, when I saw Justin Cooley and Kimberly Akimbo, I knew that I was going to vote for him um, <laughs> and raise the flag high. I'm very glad that my fellow nominators felt the same way. So uh, Justin Cooley, who plays uh, Victoria Clark's boyfriend in that show, and I hope he's staying with it when it moves to Broadway. I will say I haven't heard anything lately about it moving to Broadway, but those were the original plans. So have you heard anything? Uh, I do. I do believe that um, that is in the works. Good. I don't. Good. I don't have any more details about that, right. but uh, I, I believe it's in the works. 
uh, Gaby French, who's the young daughter mm, in yeah. Hangman. Uh, so she um, won, as did Miles Frost, who had to win for playing Michael Jackson. Mm. I mean, really, you know, so. And of course, we're going to talk about, of course, we have to mention Jekyll Spivey in A Strange Loop. Uh, phenomenal performance, as you well know. Shannon Tio in The Chinese Lady down at the Public Theater, virtually a one person show. And Carrie Young in Clyde's. Now, people say, wait, 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 Carrie Young, mm-hmm. please, Carrie Young. We've, we've seen Carrie Young since 1904. She's been in a million shows. Yes, off Broadway. And uh, what the Theater World Awards allow is the fact that uh, if you make an off Broadway debut, that doesn't count against you when you make your Broadway debut. It doesn't work the other way. If you make a Broadway debut, you won't be eligible for an off Broadway review. After all, Broadway is a place where most people want to be. So, anyway, Kara finally made it to um, Broadway, and uh, we certainly thought she was terrific. So, that's why um, she uh, won for Clyde's. And the thing is, as I say, this is a case that is not like the fashion world here you do get a second chance to make a first impression. So uh, Kara certainly did and we're delighted. So uh, we'll see who our presenters are as the um, weeks go on. Uh, we're just um, <laughs> settling the dust here as they're settling the dust circle in the square. So uh, so we shall see what we shall see. But we're delighted that uh, things are proceeding apace and um, I couldn't be happier. Oh, that's a wonderful list. And also, uh, you're, you are one of the nominators at Drama Desk, and uh, we know the Drama Desk nominations are coming up uh, uh, in about uh, a week or so. so the 16th, uh, yeah. They're on the 16th, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, we look forward to talking <laughs> talking with you about that. I would never pry the information out of you on air. Yeah, I can't. I can't. On air. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On air. <laughs> But as soon as, as, soon as we're done here, we're I see. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Peter, you got over to the Long Acre Theater where you saw uh, this newest incarnation of Macbeth, uh, a, a pretty brisk one. It happens uh, pretty quickly, doesn't it? No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, you know, I, I really thought we were going to be out an hour and a half because technically uh, so many shows today do want to uh, spend an hour and a half and let us out. And this is one of the shorter Shakespeare plays. Uh, I think Comedy of Errors uh, is a little shorter, but this is one of the shorter ones. So as a result, um, I thought it was going to be uh, quite uh, brisk. No, no, it was not. Um, It was quite leisurely and a little funky. And you you have to expect that, of course, when you um, when you have a director who um, like Sam Gold, who does like to go for the um, I'm not going to say jugular, but he does like to go for uh, different uh, interpretations. Anybody who saw the glass menagerie uh, knows that with uh, Laura squirming out of a couch uh, to make her entrance. So, so this Macbeth is uh, very atypical. And I dare say that if you don't know the play, you're not going to know very much what's going on. So it might be a good idea to get one of those summaries of cliff notes or anything like that online to find out what's going on. If you're going to go, um, there are three witches to start Macbeth. Not here. Not here. No, no, no. And of course, everybody's going because they want to see Daniel Craig, who um, doesn't look very regal to me. Now, of course, this is a man who's manipulated by his wife. Oh, she is wonderful. Ruth Negga, who was Hamlet um, a couple of years back uh, at um, St. Anne's Warehouse. 
And here she is making her Broadway debut, and got quite a few votes, I'll tell you. And um, as Lady Macbeth, and she is um, fire and brimstone. I mean, you know, this is a tough lady, needless to say. And But, you know, so many actresses play it tough and then um, aren't as good when they have to get to the scene where they're trying to rub out uh, the blood. But um, Ruth Neger really does a superb job here. So it was great. She was totally unrecognizable. Uh, I couldn't believe it was the same person who, was, who had played Hamlet. Now, of course... Hamlet's are going to make it look like a guy. I'll grant you that. But the thing is that even uh, with <laughs> feminine hairdo, et cetera, the performance was so markedly different. I would have never known it was the same person. Daniel Craig, I don't know. You know, he looks like a prize fighter to me. And um, it's it's very strange to me um, that he was even James Bond, but obviously he's had great success with that. So uh, the public is obviously right about that. But um <clears throat> It's a decent performance. I don't think it's bad. It's decent. And um, I think anybody who's his fan is going to be very happy that he or she went and, and saw it was that close to James Bond on stage. So um, but I also admired greatly Amber Gray as Banquo. I thought she was very, very fine. And um, I missed Grantham Coleman as Macduff. He was out. No, mm. everybody tells me he's terrific. So uh, the understudy was very, very fine. But um, I'm told that Grantham Coleman is terrific, and I wish I had an opinion on him, but I don't. So um, there will be other Macbeths, and um, you may be well advised to wait for the next one. As many of our listeners know, here at Broadway Radio, we love the cabaret scene and love seeing our friends shine. Well, on the West End, that's exactly what's happening. On May 15th, our dear friend and critically acclaimed cabaret artist Robbie Rizal makes his UK debut at Crazy Cogs with The Inevitable Show. Hailed as a genius at crafting an evening, Stage Buddy says The Inevitable Show is a carefully curated evening of chaos, unleashing its razor-sharp wit, signature melodies, and a special guest on the famed nightclub. The New York City cabaret sensation is one part raconteur, one part stand-up comic, and one part musical storyteller. Don't miss it. No, really, don't. And what if you're in New York City? Well, you're in luck because his new concert at the Green Room 42 premieres June 11th, and it's called Pretty Witty and Gay, just in time for Pride Month. What are you doing Saturday before the Tony Awards? This. This is what you are doing. Get your tickets for Robbie Rizal's inevitable show at Crazy Cogs for May 15th with special guest Aaron Lee Lambert from West End's Hamilton or come to the June 11th Green Room 42 show. For more information, visit www.robbyrosell.com slash schedule. That's R-O-B-B-I-E-R-O-Z-E-L-L-E dot com slash schedule. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So Michael, Peter, and I got over to the Vivian Beaumont Theater to see The Skin of Our Teeth. So, Michael, what did you think about this production? Well, uh, some of our listeners may recall when this was first announced, I, I had this whole vision of the show in my head. Of course, it was my vision and not the director's. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, this would be a perfect play uh, for rainbow casting because The Skin of Our Teeth is nominally set in, uh, in I guess, in the 50s with, uh, and it concerns the Antrobus family of Excelsior, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, and, but, they, but the play is an allegory, and they are supposed to represent all of mankind uh, and all of the disasters 
and wars, et cetera, et cetera, that that mankind has gone through since time immemorial and continues to face. Um, so, uh, of course, the original productions uh, were done, I'm, I'm sure, with mostly or all white people. Uh, but now the world has changed. And uh, well, I mean, the world has changed. And also um, the theater has changed and our perception has changed and our uh, ideas of of casting uh, have changed. Uh, so I thought that it would be great to cast the Antrobus family and the other characters um, with, you know, various ethnicities and people of different backgrounds and nationalities, because again, um, they are not supposed to be a realistic family. They're, they're very symbolic. Uh, and I thought that would be a great way to, to approach it. That is not the choice that was made here. The choice that was made here was to do it uh, with an entirely African-American family, uh, or I guess I should say black. I'm not a hundred percent sure if all of them are African-American. Um, but that was the choice that was made. Uh, this production is directed by Liliana Blaine Cruz. And um, I, uh, so it's not what I thought they would do, but it is what they did. And I think on that level, it, it works fine. Uh, even though I, I, I do regret that they didn't maybe have another idea for it. And uh, this cast is quite strong. The uh, role of Sabina, uh, played by Gabby Beans, uh, is an extremely difficult role in, in my view. Uh, she constantly breaks the fourth wall throughout the show. And uh, it's um, not easy to do that in a way that, uh, that is compelling for the audience. And she has to keep going back and forth uh, from her role to making comments like, you know, I never understood this play. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> um, but it is a great role for someone who could do it. She had a tremendous amount of energy and uh, she had a lot of comic energy as well. Uh, I, I personally found that she was doing a lot of shouting and I missed a lot of her lines. So that was a, a kind of a big disappointment for me. But um, several of the other people were really excellent. Uh, I, Rosalind Ruff as Mrs. Atribus, I, I particularly enjoyed. And it was certainly very nice to see Pr Priscilla Lopez on stage in the, in the relatively small role of the fortune teller. Uh, and, but I would say the main reason to see this production, well, two main reasons, the play, I would say, is rarely done. Uh, so uh, to see it, in any form, I, I think is is a great opportunity that should not be missed. But also the production is quite spectacular in terms of the sets and also the puppetry. Um, mm. One of the uh, things in the play is that they, they're going through an ice age. <laughs> and uh, also it's uh, th there are these dinosaurs around you know their their home in excelsior new jersey uh and, you know including a, a woolly mammoth and then and, and there's another kind of a dinosaur i'm not sure exactly what genus it is but anyway those are done um with incredible puppets uh just just really brilliantly done the audience absolutely love them but you know what james i'm looking in the playbill and there's no credit really I'm uh, oh, yes. I, I, I mean, unless it's in the back, uh, you know, in the, that really small tie. Uh, but why would it be there? 
uh, projections, sound, lighting, costume. Uh, well, Are they in the cast page? Are they? Uh... Well, but I'm talking about who designed the puppets. Oh, who designed? Yeah, it's not there. Uh, uh, for the record, because all of this other stuff is great as well. Sets, Adam Rigg. Costumes, Montana Levy Blanco. Lighting, Yi Zhao. And sound, uh, Palmer Hefferin. Oh, and projections, Hannah Wasileski. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see any. I, I, I think that's so strange. I'm going to have to. Actually, I meant to. Oh, puppet design direction, James Ortiz. It's on IB, It's in IBDB. It's. I have. I don't. Mm. I have the playbill in front of me, but I figured you were looking through that, so I'd look on IBDB. Yeah, but well, pup- I think that I mean me, that might that it might have been an awful omission from the uh, from the title page. Ah, uh, yeah. so it looks I, like I, I it, it's the first uh, credit for James Ortiz on IBDB. So, well, he should win a Tony Award. Oh, oh, I just tell you. Yeah, it's just been. Uh, I, I mean, just I, I, you when the when the dinosaurs uh, came on stage, I was like, "Wow, that is just something like we've never seen before." They were just beautiful, just beautiful, and they had such. Uh, what do they call it when um, you assign oh, a human emotion anthropo- to anthropomorph and anth- anthrop- anthropomorphic? Yeah. Um, there, but I just I, I I felt like the dinosaurs were also not only had human like qualities but also were like big large dogs. Yes, uh, <laughs> they were adorable and so well behaved. <laughs> yeah, <at times>. uh, <laughs> there, there's a point where uh, in the first act where they have to where they're expelled from the home, you know, uh, in the middle of the ice age because uh, the Antrobuses decide to take in. All these refugees, all these refugee people, you know, who are outside their window, and uh, in order to make room for the people, they have to get rid of the dinosaurs. And when they're when they're thrown out, the audiences start start practically crying because <laughs> they just they hang their heads and they're so sad. And you're like, it's like putting a dog out into a storm, you know? Yeah. So um, so James Ortiz, James Ortiz won an Obie. For uh, an Obie Award for puppet design in The Woodsman in 2016. Mm. 2016. Uh, and the, uh, Broadway World's got a handful of credits for him that I'll throw on the show. Looks, he worked on Hercules, I guess, at the park, as you like it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's got some articles linked to him for Into the Woods at City Center. I don't know. I didn't see the City Center Into the Woods, so I don't know if there's something in Into the Woods that he did. So let's see. O R T I C. Well, as I said, I do think that that must have been a an unfortunate omission from the title page. Oh, he did the cow. He did the cow in Milky Into White. the Woods. Milky White. The current yeah. one. Yeah, in the. Uh, it's an article for Into the Woods at City Center Encores from yesterday. So, yeah. So, Milky White, Lear de Bessonet's production. Well, he's having a great year, oh, yeah. a great spring. Well, he, he's, <laughs> extra- he's extraordinarily talented. I, lo- I love that part of the skin of our teeth. So, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, that, that's kind of it. That's what I have to say. I, I really loved it um, for the production and some of the cast. Uh, mm. I, you know, I, 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 I do, if I ever get a chance to direct it, which is unlikely, uh, I, I think maybe I'll try my idea. Have you seen a production of The Skin of Our Teeth before? 
the one in the park uh, some years ago with Christian mm-hmm. Johnson. I, I, I forgot think, to look it up, and I didn't. Uh, it's quite quite some time ago. I don't think I've ever seen a production of it. And as I was talking with Peter about it the other day, uh, I was a bit lost and uh, frustrated with this, uh, uh, and 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 the length of it all. It mm. was extra- extraordinarily long, um, and I wondered if it. Uh, while it was extraordinarily large and grand and and a very large cast mm-hmm. of ensemble, um, I wondered if it might have been better downstairs. Well, I think, but it wasn't because of that reason you just said. But I, I think that it, while the the grandeur of it was mm-hmm. was amazing, yeah. I, I don't think it needed to be that grand. You know, well, did you do you need a a working roller coaster on stage? I, well, no, no, not 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 that part. Um, but I, I I did love the. Uh, I guess the puppets could have fit downstairs. Yeah, no, no. I think the <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not saying cut the puppets. I'm saying yeah. that yeah. you know you don't need thirty forty people in the ensemble. Um, right. uh, you know, you could have done an every man type of Greek chorus if we had to bring back something we talked about last week. Um, but it could have been done a little bit smaller downstairs, and but well, you know, uh, we'll see what happens uh, uh, in the award season because I think at least some of the technical awards are going to going to get recognized here for Skin of Our Teeth. I think so. Peter, you got over to the Vivian Beaumont where you saw the epic production of The Skin of Our Teeth. So tell us about this. Well, uh, this is the perfect play for the our times, needless to say, because it's all about the fact that whenever human beings get in trouble and it looks like it's the end of the world, it isn't. And of course, we've, um, we're not quite through a pandemic yet. I guess we are technically. I think that term isn't being used anymore. But of course, you and I know that tomorrow some new strain could come out and mm. devastate us all, you know, so but the skin of our teeth was a very, very wise decision by Andre Bishop. And um, I, I was delighted. And who would do it better, one would think, than uh, Lincoln Center, because after all, uh, it has the resources, it has the, the big, big stage, um, which this is a big play. Now, we have to remember that when Skin of Our Teeth was first produced way back when, cab drivers used to show up at the theater around 910, mm-hmm. knowing that a lot of people would be walking out, uh, because it's a confusing play. And I'm sorry to say that Liliana Blaine Cruz in conjunction with Gabby Bean making her Broadway debut, don't make it easier for anyone because she has an opening speech. She's supposed to be playing a maid and in the middle of the speech, she stops and she says, I hate this play. Why can't we have plays like we used to have? Uh, And, you know, she is so fast. And uh, really, if if they would give speeding tickets out for delivery of lines, um, they'd lock her up um, because it's and you need the audience to know. Now, before I went, as I always do, I always uh, check out other productions. So I watched uh, one that Mary Martin did back in the 50s on TV with George Abbott, by the way, playing Mr. Antrobus, the um, part of Familias, uh, essentially, of the human race, Adam, in a way. Um, Yeah, it's a confusing play. So um, I watched Mary Martin do it, and then I watched Blair Brown do it, and um, they they were fine. You know, they, they took their time. The directors were very smart in letting them take their time, knowing that this is a a very big pill, not necessarily a bitter pill, but a very big pill for audiences to swallow. Because the point is, here we are supposedly in a New Jersey town, and yet there's the Ice Age. 
and in comes a mammoth and in comes a dinosaur. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen in New Jersey um, in 1940, whatever, when the play was done. Um, so this is really uh, amazing to some people. They have no idea what's going on. Also, there's an allusion to the fact that their son, Henry, was originally named Cain, and they do establish that he's 4,000 years old. Now, all this is very confusing. So you really need to have a production that cleans it up and makes it as palatable as possible. So um, I think somebody truly beat my girlfriend Linda's record a few weeks ago uh, with 12 minutes walking out of Cyrano. I think somebody, you know, was gone at 11, maybe even 10 or nine. So um, and there were plenty of empty seats after intermission because it's a tough one to begin with. And it really needs every break it can get. That said, I'm going to say it has two terrific performances in it. Really good. So while we condemn the director for uh, doing a bad job with Gabby Beans, who, by the way, is very good when she drops the um, persona of Sabina the male, when she a maid, when she talks to us in her own voice as Miss Fairweather, that's the name of the actress she's supposed to be playing this part. She's terrific, but it's only half a good performance uh, because, again, much too fast, but really tremendous tremendous in this production um, is first and foremost, um, I will mention the supporting role and almost unrecognizable Priscilla Lopez, whom we know um, sang nothing in chorus line and won <laughs> Tony for Dane Hollywood night in the Ukraine. But here she is playing the fortune teller. And I'm telling you, you won't recognize her. Now you might say, well, yeah, it's been close to a half century since a chorus line. That's not why. It's not that it really is that she is able to make herself look so different in this role. And she comes in the second act, which takes place in Atlantic City. And uh, there are dangers that have come there. And I don't mean gambling, but dangers come there, too. And it looks like it's the end of the world at the end of the second act. And it looks like it may be the end of the world in the third act. Um, the first uh, two acts are played together. There are little um, there's a little interim between them. The other great performance, great performance, Rosalind Ruff as Mrs. Antrobus. Now, again, this is essentially Eve, um, because the, this is uh, we're really talking about the beginning of um, mankind, because one of the things that Mr. Antrobus does is he invents the alphabet. You know, so, I mean, that's <laughs> confused. I understand. James Vincent Meredith plays him very well. But Rosalind Ruff really playing the earth mother doing so I wish you could see me now my hands are over my eyebrows because I'm so in awe of what she did uh, playing the real rock um, you hear about family values well this is the type of woman who makes family values valuable and she really really is so centered so magnificent so you know I, uh, well I would I, I can't say, well, the direction was terrible. No, it wasn't, because you don't get two performances out of people like this. A third, even let's include Mr. Antropus here, um, because really James Vincent Meredith deserves a lot of credit, too. <sighs> but I really do wish that it were a more inviting production. It is distancing and it really uh, alienates the audience rather than says, listen, we will help you. Uh, come along for the ride. It's almost like if you don't catch up with us, you're going to be lost and that's your problem. And that's a problem. What a shame because Skin of Our Teeth should be one of the major events of this season considering what we've been through. It's not. All right. So, Michael, you yes. are the last of the three of us to see <laughs> the minutes over at Studio, is it Studio 54. Um, yeah. So tell us what you thought about this Tracy Let's Play. I really liked it a lot. Um, 
I loved it until the end, which (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you're you're already laughing. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I completely understand why they did that, why the author Tracy Letts did that at the end of the play. Uh, But again, it wouldn't have been my choice. I, I think it, the play would have been more powerful if had if it had ended more realistically. Um, so that's just a matter of personal taste and preference. I'm sure um, what it is, you know, again, all of this has been discussed before, but it's this uh, meeting of the, uh, the, the town elders of a, of a, of a little town somewhere. And uh, they are discussing the various items on the agenda, but it turns out that one of their member had been expelled at a previous meeting and uh, apparently will never be seen again. And um, one of the, one of their members who missed that meeting uh, is just trying to find out what the hell happened. And it's extremely difficult for him to do so. Uh, But then it all comes out and it's, uh, I loved, I really, really loved, um, the the bulk of the play when it was quite a realistic <laughs> uh, depiction, it seemed to me, of what would happen in that kind of a meeting. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy those ultra naturalistic plays uh, that that can kind of um, ape what happens in real in real life. Some people find them boring because they think, well, why do I want to see that? I could just you know go to a real meeting. But when it's done on stage, I, I always find that very very clever and and if it's d- done well i think it's a it's a really great achievement to do that uh some of this um play reminded me a little bit of waiting for guffman those mm. <laughs> those yeah. those scenes in waiting for guffman mm-hmm. with the with the town council you know yeah um but uh but you know it's but only some of it it, it goes in a completely different direction i thought um it was a superb cast uh Jesse Mueller. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I was so nice to see her um, in a non-musical role and just fitting into the ensemble so beautifully. Um, and uh, let's see, Ian Barford, Blair Brown, Cliff Chamberlain, K. Todd Freeman, Tracy Letts himself um, in, uh, in a major role as the mayor, um, Danny McCarthy, uh, Sally Murphy, Austin Pendleton, uh, Noah Reed, and Jeff Still. Noah Reed uh, apparently is very well known from TV, uh, from by people who watch TV. But since I don't, <laughs> I really didn't know him. I thought he was excellent, and I think he really he had a he had a very significant role as that fellow who had missed the previous meeting and and you know really just can't figure out what happened and no one will tell him until they finally do. And then really interesting things start to happen. Um, So I very, very much enjoyed it. Um, And, and like I said, even though I disagree with the end, I completely understand it. And uh, uh, so I respect it on that level. So it was, uh, it was funny because uh, seeing Jesse Mueller into that, you know, I, I want, don't want to say out of place, like she shouldn't be on a Broadway show, stage, but I usually think Jesse Mueller musical. Sure. sure. Uh, and it was so wonderful to see her up there. And I was like, oh, my goodness, of course. And, and Sally Murphy, of course, uh, 
the uh, Julie Jordan of the Lincoln Center Carousel Revival from years and years ago. Uh, what a! What so we had two Julie Jordans on stage. Two, two Julie Jordans, exactly. That was my point, and then I forgot it. I'm so glad you got there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Short-term memory loss. <laughs> yeah, we've got you know we've got Jesse Mueller in a straight play. We've got Susan Stroman directing a straight play. Yeah. I, I love it when artists branch out like that. A different straight play, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a different, a different one, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is the minutes at Studio Fifty Four. It's playing through July tenth, and uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Peter, you got over to the Nederlander Theater where you saw Mister Saturday Night. How is this uh, new Jason Robert Brown musical? Well, I think most people would think of it as the Billy Crystal musical because, uh, after all, he was in the movie, uh, which I believe was written for him, in which he played uh, a comedian who was flying high for a while. But then, uh, as so many of them are uh, prone to do, they um, sabotage themselves because they get too high and mighty and people want to take them down a peg. It's uh, also, of course, um, entertainers often get married and have children, and that's going to turn out to be a problem for Mr. Saturday Night as well for every other night of the week. All right. So the first act is hilarious. One laugh after another. You're going to be holding your sides. Belly, belly aches from uh, laughter so much, and Billy Crystal delivers them so well. It's a wonderful performance. He sings pretty well, too. You know, people don't probably people don't know this, but um, at least some people but he was doing a lot of musical theater before he became famous um, uh, on TV. Um, I, I remember my friend Kevin McInerney telling me he saw him do the MC in Cabaret way back when he was tremendous, you know, so uh, it's not surprising that he has musical theater um, bones in his body as a result of the training. So wonderful performance, wonderful. And everybody around him is wonderful, too. And that includes Randy Graff, who plays his wife. I mean, she's always terrific. Uh, this is the woman who won Tony for uh, City of Angels and was so good in singing one of the best songs of the century, though it was written last century, the next best thing to love in a class act she has a very nice song. <laughs> she has a nice song and she also has a funny one about tahiti uh which is really good as well so what we also have is shoshana bean uh who i've known for a long time uh from my days at the cincinnati conservatory of music when they did babes at arms i'll never forget how dynamic she was in simply delivering the lady as a tramp i mean it was one of those performances where she didn't gesture very much. I mean, she just knew she could do it and she could nail it. And what's interesting is she has an, uh, not an 11 o'clock number, probably about 10 o'clock, but she does have a number of her own in the second act, which I dare say got the biggest hand of the night. She plays their daughter and uh, she's had issues and we do see rightfully so. So David Paymer, who was in the original movie uh, playing um, Billy Crystal, Buddy Young's brother, uh, is on hand, too. And it's fun to see him, uh, considering the fact that we know him from the movie. I will say my favorite line from the movie is not in the show, and I don't understand why. It's established when uh, uh, Buddy Young first meets uh, Elaine. Um, He's very interesting. He's very smitten with her. And you can tell he's super interested and she's interested too, but she's just come off a relationship and she tells that she was going out with um, Len Hockman and whatever his name might be. And she says, you know, the shower drew a king. Well, the reason she expects him to know, we get the impression that he does endless ads on the radio or TV. And in the movie, 
Billy Crystal said, yes, I was at his coronation. A great line. I don't know why it was dropped, but um, what's kept in is still very funny. However, uh, families, wife, children. So your second act is not funny. I don't mean it's door. I don't mean that it's um, long day's journey into night or anything like that. But you do miss laughing. You do. And uh, that's too bad because you assume when you're having such a terrific first act like that, it's going to be just as funny in the second act. I'm, I'm not saying the second act trouble here. No, the story has to go where it has to go. And it goes very expertly, very, very expertly indeed. And, you know, a, a good deal of credit, of course, um, has to go to uh, not only the people who wrote um, the movie, um, but there they are, too, on the book here as well. Billy Crystal, Lowell Gans, Babalu Mandel. The score, very pleasant, very workable. Jason Robert Brown did the music, lyrics by Amanda Green. Very punch and smart lyrics, I, I have to say. Um, she's a credit to her daddy and uh, a credit to Broadway. John Rando keeps it moving very well. But what's really interesting to me, this only has a cast of eight. Eight. You think, wow, you know, that's cheap. You know, eight. I mean, can't they hire a chorus? I mean, you know, come on. And, you know, we do have Jordan Gelber, who we know from Avenue Q, um, so um, and uh, two other people helping him out as well. But, you know, the stage never looks underpopulated. And that's pretty impressive. And I, I credit John Rando with that, too. And I credit, um, indeed, Jordan Gelber, Brian Gonzalez, Melinda Hull for doing all these myriad roles and uh, filling the stage. So um, I think it's a very worthwhile show, even though um, I was sorry that it wasn't as funny uh, throughout. But I think it's a very worthwhile show. I think it's going to have a very nice summer uh, with people coming to town and enjoying it in a way that I don't think they'd enjoy uh, a strange loop. So so this is a good show for those people who should stay away from a strange loop. (laughs) I I don't know how to ask this, but so I'll just ask it. Uh, Does this... Uh, musical survive without Billy Crystal? Well, sure. If indeed um, there's a a comedian uh, who has a similar background and a similar uh, feeling. I mean, if Chevy Chase wanted to do it, um, supposedly he's terrible to work with, but you get my point. <laughs> um, if Cherry Chase wanted to do it, you need something like that. It, it'd be great to get some of those Saturday Night Live people one after the other after the other to come in and do it. Uh, sure. I mean, if Al Franken wanted to do it, that'd be great, too. Uh-huh. No, it's it's not. It's it's not. Even though we associate it with him because, of course, with Billy Crystal, because, of course, he did the movie. Uh, no, um, this could really be a very, very good um, long run show by bringing in people uh, who have a Saturday Night Live background or an analogous one that would really be a, a very good thing of course to be fair that was set up sunset boulevard too saying wow it's going to run forever because you get all these aging actresses uh, who haven't worked in a while and oh my god what a great part for an aging actress who can sing ah uh, ah uh, uh. and you know it just didn't happen so this may be a problem here as well but i think it would be really good to see um a, a parade of uh, people come in and see it uh, over and over again i think that would be great fun and i hope it happens so, Michael, you got over to Circle in the Square Theater to see American Buffalo. Uh, tell us what you thought of this. Well, first of all, I, as soon as I walked in, I understood completely what Peter meant about uh, how it, uh, the set of that show is going to be an issue for the <laughs> World Awards, <laughs> uh, where, where, um, uh, where they are going to be held, uh, because it's 
chock-a-block with every possible piece of junk you could imagine, uh, because that's supposed to be the the setting is this, uh, you know, a, a junk store, a secondhand store, a thrift store. Um, and uh, it really, it really was full of that stuff. Uh, I remember you guys had mentioned hockey sticks mm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh, might possibly uh, block some people's view if they happen to be sitting right near there. Um, seemed like that the, the stuff was placed pretty well. So as not to uh, hopefully obscure audience members' views of the three actors. Um, and you certainly don't want uh, your view of them skewered because the three actors are Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Rockwell, and Darren Chris. Um, I think I had only seen, I had seen two productions of this uh, play before. I had seen a community theater production many years ago on Staten Island, um, which was really very well done. I remember that uh, in, a, in a very, very, very intimate space, um, similar in shape to Circle in the Square, uh, three-quarter thrust, but, um, but much more intimate. Uh, and then I saw the last Broadway revival that seemed to go come and go without making much impression on anyone. Um, this one I thought was very well done. I, uh, I, I, was, mo- I was most impressed with Darren Chris um, in the role of Bobby, who doesn't have a whole lot to do or say. Um, but I really appreciated the way he was acting when he wasn't talking uh, mm-hmm. and also when he was talking, but uh, just his reaction sh- shots. Uh, well, not shots because it's not a movie, but his reactions <laughs> to the other to the other two. Um, he really seemed to be in character a hundred percent of the time. And there seemed to be, um, you know, I think I was getting his, his subtext, what was going on in his brain uh, while the other two were, were going on. Uh, so I, I, and I think that's very hard to do in a way harder to do than, uh, you know, when you just have a lot of lines to deliver a lot of dramatic lines. So I really, really liked him a lot. Lawrence Fishburne uh, was a hundred percent solid and I loved Sam Rockwell, but I think uh, to me, there was an issue, a little bit of an issue in his performance as teach, because this is a role which uh, was one of the most famous roles ever played by Al Pacino. And I think that um, you need someone who is incredibly dynamic and also um uh, it helps if you have someone who has a very, very quirky way of delivering dialogue, uh, because uh, the, the the play is really a, a character study more than anything. Uh, nothing, really, almost nothing happens in it. Uh, mm. Nothing of consequence. Uh, it's about these three small time. Uh, hoods really uh, who are trying to maybe work a, a deal and, you know, just kind of work a, a scam on someone and uh, you know, but of course, whatever part of that happens, happens off stage anyway. So we don't even get to see it. Um, so it really is about their interaction and it's about um, toxic masculinity and it's about honor among thieves or dishonor among thieves. And it's about all that. So I think that it helps to have someone like Al Pacino, who, as soon as you open his mouth, uh, mm-hmm. As soon as he opens his mouth, you think, oh, well, oh, there's Al Pacino. Uh, and he's so distinctive and so charismatic and so um, 
so singular. Uh, whereas Sam, Rock, Sam Rockwell is a wonderful, wonderful actor. But to me, um, he's not quite that kind of an actor. He's more of a chameleon and maybe more subtle. Uh, is that the right word? Yeah. More a subtle mm-hmm. actor. Um, so I didn't think he was that well matched with the role. Um, and I think he did a wonderful job with it on his own terms. But I don't I don't think that's what that particular part requires. Um, so I, I don't know if anyone agrees with me, but that's what I felt about that. Um, it uh, was great seeing the three of them work. Um, and I, I guess that's the only reason to see the, the show. It, it, it as I said, the, the, the text itself is, is not brilliant. It really, I think it was conceived basically as a, as a vehicle for actors and that's what it has become. Um, so I'm, uh, curious, uh, did you see it, James? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did see it. And I I totally agree with I, I agree with that. And I had brought it up at the time. I was like, why do this? This is just, oh, that's right. You did say that. that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, you know, do something new with the three of these people. Mm. Put put somebody on the map. You know, nobody's yeah. I, I don't think that anybody's buying buying tickets because they have to see American Buffalo again. I think people are buying tickets because of those three gentlemen. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I completely see your point. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a shame because, um, uh, I, it, it was not like they rethought it, uh, and reinterpreted it. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I, I contradict myself all over the place because you, you think about, I'm just dying to get, but I, I think I'm going to miss it. it. I'm dying to see this uh, into the woods at City Center, mm. uh, and I don't think that they've done anything new with it. It's just amazing performances, and I'm hearing like everybody's like Heather Headley is the performance of a lifetime, and I feel like I have to see it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I agree that that every new production has to do something new with it. it, it, it as you said, if if they have, but I mean, American Buffalo in it, it, you know, it's got and, four four Broadway four Broadway productions of American Buffalo with all the same exact text. I mean, yeah, and you know, the last one I had to look it up because I have almost no memory of it. It was 2008. Yeah, um, it was it, short. It had Cedric the Entertainer, Cedric as Donnie, uh, Cedric, yeah, me. Cedric. Yeah. <laughs> Um, John Leguizamo as as Teach, uh, whose real name is Walter, <laughs> yeah. um, and Haley Joel Osment as Bobby. But yeah. it, it seems to me uh, that it. Let's see. Um, oh gosh, eight performances. Yeah, it was really short, really, really short. Yeah, and twenty previews. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> you think that that might have um, worked against another <laughs> another revival, and they might sure. have picked something else. But um, but whatever. <laughs> so that is American Buffalo. Uh, I heard the uh, the other day, and uh, Rob Johnson's in the chat room. Maybe you can, maybe you have more to add to this. Is that uh, somebody was taking pictures during the performance, and uh, wow, and uh, somebody in the cast who who was it uh, in the cast? Rob that stopped the show. Uh, I guess it was Lawrence Fishburne stopped the show. Oh wow! Oh Rockwell, Rob saying. Uh, Rockwell stopped the show and uh and yelled at them and oh. said uh and said don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Uh, 
So American Buffalo at Circle and Square through July 10th. Uh, and uh, if, in fact, you do want to get over to uh, Circle and the Square Theater, the Theater World Awards will be there coming up. <laughs> and Peter says that they're going to clear the entire stage for the Theater World Awards, which is amazing to me that they can do that. But I guess they have to do that after some of the fight scenes, and they have to reset oh, the whole, he, the, the oh, whole really? stage. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, also, they, yes, because there's a lot of breakage that occurs at one point. So I, I yeah. suppose they have to go through it anyway. Yeah. All right. So next up, let's see what we'll do. Michael, you saw Paradise Square. Mm. So tell us about this uh, new Garth Drabinsky musical. <laughs> Can we call it a Garth Drabinsky musical? The producer, Garth Drabinsky. Um, yeah, I, I have very little to say. I thought it was, um, I have to say, I thought it was one of the most inept things I've seen on Broadway, uh, lately, um, as far as the writing, uh, and that I found the writing so poor, uh, it's at, at, at a few places I actually snorted, uh, you know, just, um, reflexively, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make a point, uh, but some of the things that happened were so ridiculous that I, that I like snorted and laughed to myself, uh, not too loudly, fortunately, but um, I, so because it was so, so terrible as far as the writing uh, and I can't imagine why this was ever produced. um, I have to really, really bow down to Wakina Kalukongo for her performance in the central role of Nellie O'Brien, because to be able to be so good in the midst of something that's so bad, um, I, I think that's an amazing achievement. Uh, I don't, I guess they don't give awards for that specifically, but, <laughs> but maybe she will, um, maybe she will, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure uh, she's assured of, nominations for the major awards and i would not be surprised if she wins one or more of them hmm. yeah uh paradise square had a bunch of uh, uh covid uh they canceled a number of performances i think a week or so or maybe more than a week at the worst possible mom- moment and having very tough time at the box office they're very much counting on the award season to pull this out. Of, and, you know, uh, I have to say, uh, uh, um, I did not see it, but I am told that last week or the week before, there was a two full page spread ad in the New York Times for this show. I'm and, not sure why people would do that, would spend that $200,000. But also, where could it? I mean, this is like such it's deja vu all over again. That yeah. this is what Garth Drabinsky did back in the day. I mean, when he yeah. did it for ragtime, people thought, well, it's ragtime. Mm. You know, I mean, this could run for 20 years. Uh, but then he was he, he did that kind of thing for Candide. <laughs> and, and, and at the time, I was like, how is this even possible? Where could that money possibly come from? Uh, you would think that. I mean, I wonder if he's is he under a microscope now or not? I think that's just his style. He thinks he's going to be able to uh, pull a rabbit out of a hat by doing these things. And but but the money does have to come from somewhere. So he he got hundred. Th- those ads cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so he presumably got money from somewhere. 
to to you know on a legitimate basis to to take take out yeah. a two full page ad for this show that got mixed to negative reviews and presumably has a very small advance sale. Yeah. It's uh crazy. Yeah. It's okay. totally crazy. I don't get it. No. So that is Paradise Square over at the Ethel Barrymore Theater, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you also uh, got over to the booth to see For Color Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Was Enough. Uh, so tell us about this. I had absolutely no knowledge of this show going into it uh, to the point where, uh, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't research it before I went because sometimes I like to go into things cold. I was, <laughs> first of all, surprised that it wasn't a musical. Um, but it's not. Uh, and I think it probably would have been better if it was this, uh, this show is not meant for me uh, as far as I think the content, but I also think that um, a few points here, I, uh, the, the, the title strikes me as very odd for more than one reason. All right. It's for colored girls who have considered suicide slash when the rainbow is enough, E-N-U-F. Now, first of all, um, I, unless I missed it, <laughs> there's nothing in, in the play about suicide. Um, there are uh, bad things that happen to some of the characters, and it's all presented as narration of uh, almost like poetry, poetic dialogue. Mm-hmm. Po- uh, uh, and at one point, th- there's one section that was very compelling about I guess what we would now call date rape. And then at the end, uh, there's a, one of the characters, one of the actors delivers a very, very harrowing monologue about uh, something that she went through, which I won't say anything more about that because the whole piece builds to it. And I, and I don't want to give any spoiler because uh, to me, that was the highlight of the entire performance. Um but uh, but still, nothing about suicide. And I, and I think I recently read a quote from one of the people involved saying that they thought it was a mistake um, to have that in the title because it creates a very, very wrong impression of what the tone of the piece is going to be and also the content. So I don't know why it was in there to begin with, um, and I don't know why it was retained. And I almost think that they would have been better off if they had just called this production for colored girls, uh, but too late now. Um, now, the other thing about the title is uh, the use of the word colored, uh, you know, which I guess was still, you know, uh, the point is made and was even made in uh, Take Me Out, uh, as we were reminded by that revival that uh, many people consider it to, to call someone a colored person is offensive, but to call them a person of color is perfectly acceptable. So there's that um, odd distinction, but whatever, uh, to say four colored girls seems like a, a very dated way of phrasing that. And indeed in the, in this show itself, uh, the word colored is used frequently, but also the word black, and they seem to be used interchangeably. Um, so I didn't quite get that part of it. And then the final thing is when the rainbow is enough, E-N-U-F, I guess I don't understand what is the point of spelling the word enough like that. And I wonder if, I mean, if 
um, if a white person or a, or a non-person of color had ever uh, written his show, which probably wouldn't have happened, and they had spelled that word incorrectly as if someone can't write it properly, um, would, would that have been interpreted as offensive? And is it not offensive because the person who actually wrote it and Dozaki Shange is actually uh, a person of color. Um, so I don't understand those three things about the title. And I, uh, I just found the whole show very non-dramatic. Uh, I mean, you don't, you don't have to have direct confrontation and dialogue between characters. You don't have to have that to ensure drama, but it certainly helps. And that's not what happens here. Uh, I, I, I found a lot of the poetry very enjoyable in itself, but not theatrical and not dramatic at all. And I, and actually the whole thing seemed a lot longer to me than its actual 90 minute length. So uh, for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow was enough, uh, it was done down at the public it was made into a movie it, it's from the 70s and i think that uh i think that that's probably why they uh, they stuck with the full title in that way um, oh yeah i'm sure but um the fact that one of the, the one of the creative team people also said <laughs> that they think uh that it helped kill it at the box office is, is significant yeah it's uh uh, no matter what the title is, when it's a long title and has a slash in the middle, hmm. uh, it, it's very hard to to get that. Uh, I'm trying to think of, can anybody think of a, 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 su- a commercially successful play that had a long title? I mean... Marat sh- Saad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know how commercially I mean, successful that was. <laughs> so much talking about... Uh, uh, some so much talking about Shuffle Along. Shuffle Along had that gargantuan title that we just called Shuffle Along, but right. uh, but also that wasn't financially successful. I can't think of one. I mean, you think of Cats and Phantom and Les and you know uh, the producers and Wicked and Hamilton and shorter titles. Shorter titles much easier to how to succeed in business without really trying. We just called how to succeed was mm. Rob Johnson's bring. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Mm. Not quite as long. Bringing the noise, bringing the funk. Uh, Tony Janicki's bringing up. Sure. Um, also, I think noise. Well, funk POTUS came, the, yeah. the the technically yeah. the technical full title of POTUS is quite. That's long. true. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that is for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough, which has cut its run. It was originally scheduled uh, for into the summer. It's cut its run to a couple of weeks from now, May 22nd. So if you do want to see it at the Booth Theater, you should get over to the Booth Theater sooner than later. Okay, Peter, you've uh, you've gone through all the all the big uh, well known well-known shows that are, have just recently op- opened on Broadway. How about, uh, tell us a little bit about Off-Broadway. You got over to Nightclub Cantata at the Cell. Yeah, um, I had seen this way back in 1977 uh, when Bill Castellino was a member of the cast in a Boston company. And here he is directing it. Uh, he's had great affection for it. Now, the music uh, and the lyrics um, and uh, the conception of it uh, done by Elizabeth Suedos. 
Now, several people are shivering right now with the name Elizabeth Suedos because uh, she did march to a different drummer when it came to musical theater. Uh, Ethan Morden, uh, whom uh, longtime listeners know I admire like crazy, once said that her music sounds like your nephew with a straw blowing bubbles in his milk. And um, I understand where he's coming from. If you know the Scorcher Runaways, uh, which uh, he, <laughs> well, less said the better about what he said about it. Anyway, if you know the Scorcher Runaways, it does sound a little atonal. It does sound a little, a lot unmelodic actually. And there's very little to hang on to in terms of songs. People are always quarreling about conventional musicals where you can't come out humming the songs. I doubt you can do it in Runaways too however she was just starting out here this was an early project of hers and so she hadn't gone into the offbeat direction musically that she did later so these are terrific tunes and it was uh, I, I really went with a sense of foreboding i mean after all 1977 was a long time ago i didn't remember it uh, very well i remember what it looked like but i didn't remember what it sounded like and i don't believe there's an album i'm sure there's a bootleg somewhere but um i didn't get one so um so really, it's it's a treat to hear some of these songs that really do have wonderful melodies. Uh, one about indecision. Um, in fact, uh, uh, Suedo said that a friend suggested to her that she write a hit single. And uh, this is what she did. And it does sound like a, a standard um, um, A, G, 7th, C uh, type of uh, song. So a very good song about a ventriloquist and dummy, which I thought was terrific as well. So um, a song with a very, um, that took its inspiration from Delmo Schwartz in Dreams Begin Responsibilities, a very, very good song. So um, it's, it's only about 75 minutes and it's at the cell, which is a tiny, tiny space on 23rd Street between 9th and 10th. I love going there. Because no matter what, when you go there, you're always going to see a different configuration of seats. It's a nice surprise to see where you're going to be. But the real surprise was to find out how much melody Elizabeth Suedos once had when she was writing show music. Okay, so before we wrap up and get into our musical moment and trivia, Michael, Romeo and Bernadette's back, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, They were one of the many victims of the pandemic. They were supposed to start their off-Broadway run right when everything closed down. Uh, But it's back at at Theater 555. uh, And uh, Eric Krebs is behind it. And I I, I was scheduled to go next week, and I I, I still am planning to. But also uh, what happened the other night was I was supposed to see Mr. Saturday night. And I guess on maybe three hours notice, I I got word that the performance was canceled because Billy Crystal had the flu. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he uh, initially, they said he was only going to be out for one performance. And I thought, really only one performance. (laughs) Uh, It turned out he was out for at least two. Um, Does anyone know if he, it probably wasn't more than that, or I would have heard. Um, yeah, I just got an email from Polk. Uh, when did I get it? Last night. They rescheduled me for Tuesday the 17th, so a week from Tuesday. So uh, they didn't say if he was back or not, but uh, I missed it as well. I was rescheduled. By the way, I, I know Randy Graff, who's in the cast, and, and I uh, you know I told her that I was supposed to come, but but I, but I'd have to reschedule. 
And she said, um, uh, she described Billy Crystal as the hardest working person in show business. And she said that with uh, TV appearances and uh, the cast album and, and everything else that goes into what happens sure. right after an opening, that, that it was, you know, it was probably just that it all caught up with him. But she really, she obviously admires him really really a lot. And, uh, and I had heard that before about him, uh, you know, about his work ethic. Uh, and I, I so, so enjoyed his one man show on Broadway some years back. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him in this. Uh, but anyway, uh, because that was canceled, I, I was trying to think, well, what, uh, I had a friend coming in from Staten Island, uh, to, to see Mr. Saturday night with me. And she was already on the bus. So I was like, well, I can't call her and tell her to get off, you know, um, so what can we see, uh, you know, what might I be able to get tickets to at the last minute? And I realized that Romeo and Bernadette was, um, first of all, right down the block for me, uh, and also had just started. And also because they had, they had just started, they had very cheap tickets, um, $25. Uh, so I, uh, I when she arrived, I told her the, the bad news about Mr. Saturday Night, but I I told her honestly that I thought she would really enjoy Romeo and Bernadette because I uh, aside from everything I I think she I know she knows those old Italian songs uh, that are used as the music for the show with brilliant new lyrics by Mark Salzman, and I I just thought she would respond to the whole story uh, of of the play because it's so so touching and so funny um and indeed she did uh so we got tickets for that and we really we really loved it all right so we have uh the romeo and bernadette commercial uh embedded in our show notes if you want to take a look at that and uh it looks like it's a lot of fun so before we wrap up, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. By uh, iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. Okay, Peter, do we have an answer for last week's trivia? A big hit musical that closed as one of the 20th longest running musicals in Broadway history was nominated for seven Tonys, but it only won two. One was for Best Lighting, but if the show hadn't won the other award, it would have been very embarrassing. Why? Well, because the show was called Dancing, and a show called Dancing had best win for Best Choreography, which Bob Fosse did. Uh, one of the reasons I asked this question, by the way, because a new production of Dancing is coming our way. That's what put it into my consciousness. Right now it's on the West Coast, but it's supposedly making its way here, and uh, we'll look forward to it. Steve Bell was the first answer, followed by Paul Witte, Tony Janicki, Juliet Green, Ian James Tweedy, Brigadude, Isaac Blevins, Mike Meany, Sean Logan, Josh Israel, Phil Bond, Jane Aubrey Jones, Michael Wannis, Greg Christensen, and Jeff Hickman. I'm exhausted. Anyway, this week's question. Broadway musicals that were all later made into films include Higher and Higher, A Little Night Music, Mame, The Music Man, 1776, Sweet Charity, and Too Many Girls. 
What, what else do these one-time Broadway musicals made into films also have in common? Okay, if you know that answer, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in uh, this week's musical moment? We have what I would say is a real rarity as our opening and closing music. This is a song titled The Skin of Our Teeth from the Candor and Ebb musicalization of the property, which, uh, uh, you know, I sadly don't know if we'll ever see again. It had been done uh, out of town. It was done in D.C. some years ago, and I almost got to see it, and then I couldn't make it um, at the last minute. And apparently since then, the rights uh, have been withdrawn. I, I don't know what's going on with the Thornton Wilder estate. I, I don't know why um, they would have such a problem with this show. I, and I, I mean, I never saw it, so I, I can't say how well it works or it doesn't, but it is candor and ebb. And I, and I can't imagine um, that even if it's not a hundred percent brilliantly successful, that it would harm the property, the play in any way going forward. As, as we mentioned earlier, it's not as if the skin of our teeth has done that often anyway. And, uh, and also uh, it's worth noting that some changes to the text have been made for the current Lincoln Center theater production of the skin of our teeth. So maybe the people running the estate, uh, the Wilder estate are different now uh, than the ones who were running it when Candor and Ebb were getting their musical. I wouldn't be surprised if it's different people. Um, anyway, on the basis of this song, I, I even all the more so would really love to see this whole show someday. It was variously titled All About Us, and uh, then an alternate title was Over and Over. But this is, uh, well, this song is titled The Skin of Our Teeth, and this was a studio recording uh, that was made by Brent Barrett uh, for an album entitled John Kander, Hidden Treasures, 1950-2015. So you listen to this song, and you tell me if... if, uh, you don't want to see this show as 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 much <laughs> as I do, because I I really I'm just my my interest was peaked again uh, when I listened to this beautiful recording by Brent Barrett. All right, so that wraps it up for this week. On behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye bye. Bye. skin of our teeth. By and by, everything will be fine. Just as long as the fire burns bright, we'll stay strong by the light of that light. Hope can die, everything will be perfectly fine. Survive, fight.
fight and win if only by the skin of our teeth. Storms may brew and troubles may stir. 